Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret backstory behind every book. Joining me now is someone I really can't wait to introduce to you. Her name is Christiane Banks, and she's here to talk about her historical novel, Amelia's Prayer. Christiane, such a pleasure to have you on Books on Air. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, good morning, Susanna, and thank you so much for inviting me. It is um, very exciting to be here. Well, I'm excited as well because Amelia's Prayer is such a wonderful book. I'm always curious about writers. I'm always curious about how they come to be a writer. There's always a backstory. Some people, when they're children, they're readers, and that inspires them to be a writer. Sometimes there's a spark that's recognized by a teacher or a professor, and they're encouraged from that angle to be a writer. Sometimes it's just something happens in their lives, and it's such a a major event, positive or negative, that they almost feel a compulsion to get it out and share it with the world. And so they'll become writers in that way. Also, sometimes people have wanted to write all their lives and they've never had time because of a job or children or demands on their time. And when they retire, all of a sudden that writing bubbles to the surface. So what's the backstory behind Christiane Banks? How did you come to be a writer slash author? Well, it's a it's a wonderful question, Suzanne. And um, from a very young age, um, I've been, um, I would say, a storyteller, uh, creating stories, poems in my head, plays in my head. But I was not always capable of actually executing the ideas and to form them uh, from within my mind onto paper. I... Um, I would, uh, I think, 14 when it was discovered, 1969, it was discovered that I had dyslexia. And dyslexia then, people just thought you were probably, you know, for want of a better word, stupid. Um, So I never really felt capable or believed I truly had the ability to write any kind of story, although it's a constant, uh, like a movie going on in, inside my brain. Amelia's Prayer was something I really felt I wanted to write. And I had talked to my siblings about it. And uh, But when I was in my 50s, many years later, my brother, who uh, lived, lives, has a lovely home in the south of France, in Provence, I was visiting, and um, he had a friend who uh, is... A author, her name is Joyce Holmes, and she writes detective novels. He introduced me to uh, Joyce Holmes, who just gave me the courage. She validated the idea that I could write because I said, "Well, I'm dyslexic, and I, you know, I've been to school, and you know." And she said, "You know, <laughs> stop whining and go out and write your book. <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> I know you can write." purely by having a conversation with you. So, you know, go out and do it. She waved to me from her balcony and said, you know, 
next time we meet, we'll be at your book launch, you know, go back and do it. And I have to say, she was the magic bullet, along with support from family. Now, having said that, the whole process was extremely complicated. I I ended up uh, writing it freehand, dictating it onto an old tape recorder, you know, handheld tape. And my girlfriend, Margaret, and I, we bought it. She's a lawyer, secretary, and my friend, and I'm a beautician. So I did all her beauty work, and she transcribed it. I actually have 17 manuscripts, different versions of Amelia's Prayer in my basement. Uh, so that 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 is the... It took six years six years to actually get it down on paper. So when you say authors are passionate about their work, yeah, this one surely was, um, it was, you know, almost a miracle to my mind. I think that you have just said some very important things. I suspect that somewhere in our listening audience there is someone who has said to themselves, I can't write because I'm dyslexic. And you just said to that person, hang on a minute, that's not an excuse. Yes, you can. It won't be easy, but you can do it. I only have one unpublished novel in my bottom drawer, not 17, so (laughs) I love it. Now, there is a really wonderful backstory behind Amelia's Prayer. When I read the excerpt on Amazon, I was captivated. How in the world did you find this story to tell? Because this is partly real, partly made up. Am I right? Yes, that's correct, Suzanne. Yeah. So who are the people on the front cover of the novel? Well, the uh, the cover of the novel, the photograph, is in fact my parents, my mother and father. Oh, what a lovely couple they made. Yeah, it is, yeah. My mum and dad. Isn't that a lovely book cover? Yes, I, I love the book cover. And my niece and I designed the book cover. How did you come up with the story? Because you had some help. Oh, yes. Um, well, the, um, the story is... Um, so the root, the, the thread of the story, the spine of the story, in essence, um, is truth. And it's truth around the era, that generation of people who were, who were young, the young people like my parents, which is a whole generation, um, during the um, Second World War. I was born and raised in England on the northeast coast, and I was a a, a shampoo girl in a tiny little hairdressing salon where a lot of these beautiful ladies um, who used to come in and have their hair done had lived through the very difficult times, some some of them from the First World War. Now, I am... Um, you know, to me, privileged to have heard some of these stories. And you massage somebody's head and it loosens their tongue, you know. They do want to talk to you. And a lot of these stories, um, I I believe I've been privileged to hear. And um, it's not just, you know, we're not talking just about battlefield, but the consequences of the the uh, you know the, the the fallout that hits the 
the, the ladies at home who actually ran the factories and had to look after families. And I think as a baby boomer, me as a baby boomer, I am one of the last generation who will have memories of being told the, these stories uh, and the legacy of these stories that, that are left behind. And, and I feel like the stories that, that we need, that they're poignant, they're powerful. And if you have the ability, I think it's my, you know, my duty to almost tell these stories. I'm driven to tell these stories. Plus, they're, they're, they're very heart-wrenching heart um, stories. Because World War II was, I mean, in England, I, can, I can't even fathom. I have seen all the documentaries. I've seen the movies. I I love British history. I I love to watch British television, and I've seen so many shows set in that era. But watching a program that's set in that era could not possibly give you any kind of feeling for what it must have been like to be bombed. I mean, if you were in London, you know, the Blitzkrieg was going on. They were bombing London every night. You were afraid for your life every night. You saw the person next to you die. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine listening and hearing the real story from a per of an individual who lived through that yeah. kind of situation. It's just beyond me how I agree with you, how fortunate you were to be able to, you're right, when you touch somebody, massaging somebody's head when you're washing their hair, when you touch someone like that, it changes the relationship between you and the other person. And they will loosen up and they will talk to you. And wow, how did you come up with the characters um, Sebastian Laval, am I pronouncing that right? Yes, yep, Sebastian Laval. Yes. And Amelia Sullivan. Who are they? Well, again, they are, um, they're probably based on my parents, but not, they, as I say, they represent that generation because there were so many um, where I came from. Um, and I'm born after the war, but, you know, so many of these people came together. There's a lot of us would not be here were it not for the Second World War, you know, because of people traveling, uh, because of war, because of, you know, we talk about uh, war brides, um, you know, girls came to America from England. And um, so they, these, and, and, and it wasn't all romantic, although, you know, they came together because of the war. And I think, I think two things when you when you're young and you fall in love um, it's marvelous you know you're you're euphoric and you feel just beautiful <laughs> you put a war in the middle of that it kind of sends it up a few notches so they would do crazy things you know they would marry within days one because they you know they're in, in they're in a wartime uh, situation and two they weren't living in our modern society they're living you know 80 years ago and and all the principles and uh you know the things we were and weren't allowed to do were very different so uh, the the character sebastian um and amelia is sort of loosely based on my parents however they do represent um 
many individuals from that era, from that, from wartime, you know. Now, you have part of the book that you would like to share with our listeners. Let's do that now. Okay. Thank you. So I'm going to read, um, what I'm going to read now is the, the very beginning of the story. And um, I would like to, um, yes, yeah, so it's it's the first chapter. Um, Sebastian Laval stepped out of the front door into the warm sunlight on a spring morning in 1934. He did not stop to saturate his senses with the beauty around him, nor did he look at the old stone house that was nestled in the beautiful orchard, filled to overflowing with apple trees, the apples hanging in their multitudes, red, ripe and juicy, just waiting to be plucked and bitten into. Sebastian loved to do that and feel the warm juices dripping from his chin. Nor did he think of the magnificent mountains, tall, towering high above the village, looking over and protecting it like the arms of the gods. He did not consider his weeping mother, his father, or his younger sister. His mind was set upon adventure. Sebastian was 15 and leaving home to join the Navy. Au revoir, Sebastian. Be safe. You look so handsome in your uniform, said his mother. On September the 3rd, 1939, war was declared on Germany by France and England when Germany invaded Poland. One year year into the war, the Jean d'Arc was part of the convoy sailing from England to Russia. The Jeanne d'Arc was hit along with several other ships that were part of the convoy. Several were severely damaged and sank. Sebastian could hear the terrifying sounds of the explosions. It seemed for a moment to be silent after, and then he watched in horror as the shipmate's head was blown off, hit with a shell, screams coming from every corner. Sebastian was not sure if it were coming from himself or others. He slipped on the deck and fell on top of the sailor with his legs blown off. Flesh, blood, stench, petrifying screams of his friends. The chaos that ensued was insane. Broken bodies scattered across the ship, wounded men everywhere. Men he had lived with, ate with, drunk with, worked alongside over the past six years, were blown to pieces in front of him. Sebastian cried out, holding on to himself. The screams were coming from him. As he staggered from one wounded man to the next, trying to help them, he was numb with shock. They worked all night, and when at last the fires were out and the wounded men attended to, Sebastian stood in the eerie silence, looking all around him at the complete devastation, destruction, and utter madness of the war. Placing his hand over his mouth, stifling his sorrowful cries, tears poured from his eyes. Sebastian longed for home. He ached for his mother's arms, the taste of the juicy apple, the sight of the mountains, for he was sure he had arrived at the mouth of hell. That is the intro. I would like to read a piece now. Um, I'm jumping a little uh, to where um, Sebastian and Amelia have met. They've known each other 
the matter to tea dance because his ship was brought into Newcastle port to be fixed. They meet at a tea dance and they go out on a date um, to um, a beautiful old monastery in a place called Tynemouth, which is on the Northumberland coast. And I'd like to read this excerpt because it is um, a, a nice piece. Tynemouth is one of my most favourite places, Amelia told him. It overlooks the North Sea and the River Tyne, and it has a 2,000-year history. Anglo-Saxons settled here first, and it was known as Venerable Crag. It changed a lot, and then eventually it became a priory run by the Benedictine monks. Then the priory was destroyed by Vikings. Eventually, King Henry VIII kept the castle, so queens have lived here and kings have been buried here. I love to stand inside the ruins of the cathedral because you can still see where the high altar was and the shape of the windows. I almost hear the monks chanting their Gregorian words as the North Sea pounds the rocks below and the winds howl around the building through the cracks in the windows and the walls. Ah, we, oui, Sebastian said, you paint a very good picture. Currently, they are using part of its artillery fort to protect our coastline. I think it's a very sacred and beautiful place, Amelia said. Then I cannot think of a more perfect place to kiss you. Sebastian took Amelia in his arms. She closed her eyes and allowed him to hold her close, his strong arms enfolding her. He kissed her tenderly as they stood and twined together, Surrounded by the broken-down walls of the Norman chapel, ancient headstones in the graveyard, the cliffs and the sea. Wow. For someone who thought they couldn't write. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Christiane, your prose is poetry. It's so beautiful. I am, I am right there. The first, the first excerpt that you read about the battle and his joy at leaving home because he was so excited about what he was about to do that goes into utter terror and horror at what happens on the ship and the fact that he survives. He comes to England and then he meets Amelia and he has this wonderful experience. I know that if we have not titillated our listeners, I can't imagine what else would. So I know they're saying to themselves, where can I get a copy of this wonderful book? And, of course, you can go to Amazon. Now, I always think that perhaps there's someone who has never gone to Amazon for anything. So all you have to do is type that magic word <laughs> In the search feature at the top of your computer where the search engine is, just type in www.amazon.com. Now, when you get to Amazon's homepage, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. There's a, always a bunch of stuff there. I remember the first time I went there, I thought, oh, my goodness, what's all this? Ignore all of that. There will be another search box right there on the home page. Now, there's a, a drop-down feature where you can choose books, but you don't have to. In that search box, it's sort of long and it's a light gray color. Type in the words Amelia, A-M-E-L-I-A, apostrophe S, Amelia's Prayer. 
P-R-A-Y-E-R, by Christiane, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E, Banks, B-A-N-K-S. And when you click on that, it will bring the book right up. You will see Christiane's parents right there on the cover. And if you look at the upper right-hand corner of the representation of the cover, there will be the two words. It'll say, look inside. If you click on the two words, the book will electronically open, and you'll be able to read part of the wonderful excerpt that she just read to us, and there's a little bit more that you can also read. You can also buy it right there. There's a place on that page where you can click and buy the book. Now, Christiane, are there some other places that they could find Amelia's Prayer if they don't want to buy it on Amazon? Yes, uh, there, there are, uh, Susanna. Um, the book is a print-on-demand, so most bookstores can get you a copy, but definitely Barnes & Noble, uh, Chapters Indigo for Canadian uh, listeners, and Waterstones, uh, which are uh, it's a British bookstore. So all bookstores, libraries, um, will, will get you a copy. They'll definitely order one in, or some of them have them on their bookshelves. Now, this is actually a continuing story. There is another book that will follow on the heels of Amelia's Prayer, and it's called Amazing Grace. Now, as I understand it, the story continues in Amazing Grace. Is that right? Yes, it does. It's a it's a continuation of Amazing Grace. Um the continuation of Amelia's prayer correction. Um, Amazing Grace uh, spans a 50-year period of time, or 40, 1934 to 1974. Amazing Grace will pick up where we left off with Amelia's prayer. And the first page of Amazing Grace is the last page of Amelia's prayer. It keeps the flow, follows the family. Very clever. I like that. Now, you have a website so that if our listeners want to know more about you and want to know more about your work, they can go to your website. Let's give them that website address. Okay. It's Banks. B-A-N-K-S dot com. That's all small case and all one word. No spaces. No spaces. What will they find when they come to your website? Um, The website has, um, it has an insight. It has um, a little bio on myself. It'll take you straight to the books. If you click on books, um, and it will give you a synopsis of both the books. It will give you reviews of both the books and also links where you can just hit the link and um, order the book from um, some of the places I actually, as you know, told Amazon uh, England, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, and then chapters, Bonds & Noble, Waterstones. There's several outlets that, that carry the book. On, on different, um, you can get an e-book, um, also, um, and Kindle. 
Now you're going. You're also on social media. I believe you have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Let's tell them how to find you on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, thank you, Suzanne. Our Facebook is Novelist, N O V E L I S T, Banks, and Instagram is at Novelist Banks. And what will they find? Uh, well, the Facebook page uh, will again tell you how to contact me, um, anything, um, where to get the book, and um, um, what I've been doing, uh, which hasn't been much because of COVID, but um, <laughs> where I'm going, um, etc. They'll find uh, an, a contact a contact point. Now, the books are not really Christmas books, holiday books, but at the same time, they do have some holiday passages, and they do connect to the holidays. Am I right about that? That's that's correct, uh, Susanna. I like to say they're not Christmas books, but they lend themselves very well to the holiday season because both books have... <laughs> Christmas timelines, which are nice because they give you an insight into Christmas in other countries in other times. Uh, and I, um, it's a, my particular favorite time of year. I think a lot of, I think a lot of women especially feel the same way about it. Um, maybe I shouldn't make that sweeping statement, but um, uh, when I've been out and about, a lot of people um, enjoy the Christmas. They like the Christmas timelines. And um, if if I may, I'd like to read just a quick excerpt um, from um, Amelia's prayer. Uh, it's Christmas during the war, 1942, uh, inside one of the homes. Um, and again, um, a, a nice uh, nice idea for a Christmas gift. Uh, the book is uh, both books are a very nice idea for Christmas gift. So may I go ahead and read it? Please do. Yes, thank you. Um, it was the week before Christmas, 1942, and Amelia, Deirdre, and Helen were decorating the spindly small Christmas tree given to them by a friend who owned the farm, who sometimes supplied them with cheese and other goodies. Helen, you are such a genius, Deirdre commented. I love these ornaments you made from Mum's button box. Well, we all have to make do, Helen said. The rhinestone ones look so pretty they twinkle. Amelia was quiet, observing Helen's ability to create beautiful things with her hands, yet physically she was rather ordinary. Helen did not look like Amelia or Deirdre. It seemed to Amelia that Helen was average personified, average height, average weight, average brown hair and eyes. Have you heard from Sebastian yet, Helen asked her. No, and I'm worried about him. Oh, I wouldn't be. The post's impossible, you know, as you can imagine. I know the, things, I know the thing is I can't send him a letter until I get an address or something. Oh, that will show up soon, Helen said. You're not alone, you know. Amelia was well aware of that fact. She wondered sometimes if Sebastian was a figment of her imagination. It seemed so long ago that they had shared their night of love. She carried on with the decorating, putting out the nativity scene display that was their mother's, who had received it from her mother. I love to see that come out, Deirdre commented. 
I like the tradition of it, don't you? Really makes it feel like Christmas. Yes, Helen, I have some apple cider. Someone gave me. And once we've finished decorating the tree, we can put the fire on, listen to carols on the radio, and drink our hot cider, Amelia said. That sounds like a nice idea, Helen. There was a knock on the door. Amelia went to answer it. It was the postman. Hello, Fred. Amelia, I have many letters for you, and I thought I would hand them to you instead of pushing them through the letterbox. Looks like a backlog. Amelia took the envelope from Fred. She read the top one, Mrs. Amelia Laval. The one underneath, Mrs. Amelia Laval. Oh, thanks, Fred. Amelia held them against her heart, and she had tears in her eyes. Oh, you're all right, pet. I wanted to see your face when you got them. Go in the house and read them now and have fun. Ta-ra, and Fred left. I love it. You know, as a former teacher, what's spinning through my mind is that teachers could use these books in a couple of different ways. We talked about, or you mentioned, the fact that it gave, it gives an idea of how Christmas is in other countries, which I think is important. You could do that with younger children as well as high school kids. You could also um, use the war, make this, since it's an insight into the way that people were living and acting and doing things in the war, even at Christmas. I think you could also, if you were a history teacher or if you're a homeschool parent, use this idea to to make it live. One of the things that I used to do when I was a teacher was try to figure out how to give literature a heartbeat and breath sounds so that the kids, when you talked about, I taught high school, the kids, when you talked about certain things, um, you didn't want it to be flat on the page. You wanted them to understand that these were living, breathing human beings. And sometimes I think that's hard to get across when it's on a flat page and you're reading about history or you're just reading some story. And so your novels and and your readings have just set my brain ablaze. (laughs) Thank you so much, Christine. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes, it does give, it texturizes things, doesn't it? As you say so nicely and eloquently, a heartbeat to the story. Um, They can identify, I think. That's what's probably um, nice about something like that. I can't tell you what an absolute pleasure it's been to have you as a guest on Books on Air. And I wonder... When people finish either or both books, when they finish Amelia's Prayer or when they finish Amazing Grace, do you just want them to have read a wonderful historical love story? Or is there something that you would like for them to take away from the books? Is there a bottom line message? Well, um, yes, I think. I think uh, most authors would like to leave something behind, like the story to leave something behind when someone closes the book. Um, I Personally, um, simplicity is the essence of a reader connecting to a story. And if they can feel, they can reach out and identify um, 
I like to think Amelia's prayer is a compilation of all that, you know, life, love, family, betrayal, forgiveness, and how much we, though we may not realize it from day to day, oh, to those who who sacrificed not only on battlefields, but, you know, at home, on the home front, um, to make us safe now, because we've We've stood on the shoulders of those who came before us. I feel uh, it's my responsibility because I have the means and wherewithal, fortunately, to write about it in order for us to remember them. I think you have done a masterful job. Remember, you can find both Amelia's Prayer and Amazing Grace on Amazon.com. And they're both by Christiane, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E, Banks, B-A-N-K-S. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.